welcome to Keeping It 100 on the GAMSAT podcast. I'm Tom. I'm one of the lead tutors at Fraser's and I'm here with Dr. Scott Fraser himself. So welcome, Scott. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Hopefully, I'm, I'm still not too old to be able to keep it 100. No. So there we go. Um, and on Keeping It 100, we talk to students and tutors and people who've sat the GAMSAT before um, to try and get tips and advice and sort of, I guess, insider secrets. And I think... Uh, you've sat the game set a couple of times. <laughs> um, yeah, f- four four actual attempts and, and one false start uh, last year. But um, yeah, no, I've sat it a few times now and uh, over quite a, a span of time. So I've seen it evolve uh, over that period too. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I really want to focus on in this episode is talking about how the game set changed over time. Um, talking to someone who's done really well in Section 3, multiple attempts across these changes. And... Obviously, we're two pretty sought-after tutors, so we can we can talk about um, what our takes are on different things. So, for section three, um, what were your previous scores? Uh, the the lowest score I got was a seventy-one one time, and the highest score I got was an eighty-eight. Nice. So, in that bracket, yeah. Um, and I can also add that, like, the time I scored the 88 probably didn't feel like I'd landed the 88. Mm. The time I scored a 71 didn't feel like a 71 as well. So I think similar types of feelings to what students usually have when they're, you know, they, they go and do all right, but you're, you're never exactly sure where it's going to land. Yeah, yeah. Um, still across the board, that's still pretty good. And I think mm. a lot of the times we were sitting, so just for clarity, Dr. Scott, what mm-hmm. kind of doctor are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a doctor of uh, philosophy in, in the area of chemistry. So, yeah, never never take a physical from me. <laughs> exactly. So, so a lot of the um, GAMSATs, even myself, that we will sit in the future and mm-hmm. have sat a sort of R&D kind of thing, see what the experience is for students. Yeah. Um, and also just to support students as well. We see a lot of our students at the exams. So, to say that we'll be going through the, the hell hole as well is quite... Quite a good thing. Yep. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we we go in with a different mindset maybe to some of the really stressed students that are really trying to get into med on that year or um, or in the next couple of years, depending on when they sit. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, what are your thoughts from, give us a timeline, from the first time that you sat it to the most recent sit, mm-hmm. how do you think um, the exam as a whole is changing? Yeah, look, uh, the first time I sat it was in 2008. Um, and that was after having been a GAMSAT shooter for only a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to get a bit of an idea of, of what this exam was really like um, now that I was starting to get more and more interest as a tutor for it. Um, and, and went in and did quite well. Uh, it was... There was a lot more problem solving than I'd kind of been led to believe by students who were prepping. And back then, there was really only the DES materials to work with. So that was the primary... That and the ACER content was the primary guide. But um, the next sit I did uh, was a September exam in 2010, and, and that was night and day uh, compared to 2008. Um, if there was to be a, wow, the game stats changed, around about that time we were seeing more of a switch away from, I guess, how well you knew your reaction mechanisms, how well you, know, you knew your physics formulae to, well, here's some random bio or here's some, some random stats effectively couched in the context of physics, chem or bio, yeah. work with it and interpret it. I actually scored much better on that exam, but I definitely didn't feel anywhere near as confident as what I did on the first one. Whereas the first one I finished with a lot of time to spare and, and I felt like a lot of 
the the gap really to to scoring you know a jay-z type score was more going to be just revision which i'd done none of going into the exam yeah yeah um and say in the more recent years like how do you think it's changing because i guess the reason this is topical is because a lot of students are i guess paranoid about Mm. how the exam is changing and there are a lot of sort of perverse incentives out there for different companies to really push that it's theory based to sell their textbooks or really push that it's reasoning based if you want to do question banks so you know it's really hard to know um as a as I was and also currently for objective kind of students to try and get a sense of what is this exam going to be. I don't know. What are your feelings about that? I think it's heading more and more towards the soft skills that aren't just meant to be there in general for a science student or even for just a a reasoning-based student. I think uh, basic mathematical soft skills are there if you're in commerce and law and stuff as well. But these are skills that are going to translate to medicine and having been through the program now you know that there's going to be a research project year and and all degrees have that element now and and looking as well at some of our tutors who uh sort of were in your year or in other years and and seeing how well they handle that year particularly often comes back to the the soft skills that they do or don't possess yeah so i think those things are being tested for a lot more as a result the i just say the density of section three particularly has increased yeah. Uh, section one hasn't changed drastically other than it's it seems to be moving more towards more of a medical clinical flavor yeah, as opposed to shakespearean the, kind of yeah yeah <laughs> how's your how's your uh, memory of othello type stuff um but yeah section three it's just it's just sheer density and i think the the challenge now is just being able to to get it done um and then it's just a question of accuracy after that yeah and I guess with density, yeah, like it's testing your soft skills of being able to, I don't know, manage your anxiety, your time, um, kind of punishing people who are trying to just find the theory that they already know. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think my sits, my memory of section three, definitely the the final one that I did. So I said in 2012, 2013, and the one where I scored really well, it was... I felt like every question was in some way mathematical. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you know, the bio question about cells maybe wasn't mathsy, maths in terms of I didn't have to get out a calculator, but I felt like that um, having a maths physics kind of background really helps across the board, whether it's interpreting graphs or you have a thick chunk of text explaining how something works. But if you look at the graph and understand understood the units, you could just sort of understand much more quickly yeah um okay so i guess some things about your approach so Mm -hmm. how did how do you approach each of the sections um in terms of exam technique from that kind of perspective Uh, i know we have kind of differing opinions on whether to go front to back or jump around um Mm -hmm. how to use toilet breaks all those kind of things we talk about those things on some of our um, one-off kind of events and days but just the sort of executive summary what's your approach to each of the sections well starting with section one uh my approach is is pretty much one of finding the low-hanging fruit. Um, it's not my strength, and I, it should never be my strength with my background. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get as many marks as I can, as quickly as I can. And with the harder questions, the ones that are, or the ones that I maybe perceive as being less economical, I'll leave them uh, closer towards the end. Um, 
I think the other thing I, I'm trying to do in in that section in the uh, sort of smaller chunk of time that you've got for, for section one is just make sure that I'm really locked in when I'm reading. I just try to ignore ignore all the distractions around me and um, use some techniques like following the finger or um, you know a pencil or something to try and just make sure that when I'm reading I, I don't make mistakes because yeah one year I did do a speed reading course and, and I found that made a, a big difference to my my section one performance and so yeah those those are kind of the things that I'm banking on but I'm, I'm not studying to the extent where I have an unrealistic expectation I'm going to drop a, a 74 or something if I if I can get mid to high 60s off you know little to no study I'll, I'll take that yeah yeah interesting about speed reading so what do you think about the speed reading do you think it was the uh like well, okay this is okay this is my hypothesis so i imagine that when you do those kind of courses mm-hmm. um you're tasked with reading and understanding something very quickly and trying to answer questions or that kind of thing correct and so my my hypothesis is that maybe it's not the actual techniques of chunking and doing all these kind of things so I, I don't know i'm not a fan but Sure. But um, each their own. But I suspect that keeping concentration and really focusing when you read, that's probably the thing that might have helped the most, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the point of speed reading is to is to help you keep focused. I think it gets a bad rap because there are people that just try to go faster. Yeah, it's like I read 751 books in a week or yeah. those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and people look at that and go, well, what's the utility other than yeah. you were able to, you know, post a quick quartz article online exactly, yeah but for, for the purposes of what i was doing I, I tend to call it more active reading it's the techniques that are usable and will, will differ in their utility from individual to individual yeah. but they help you focus on reading and i'm one of those people that's a slow reader normally yeah, easily daydream easily um you know mind wandering off on some sort of a tangent yeah so yeah i need to stop that if i can and yeah. so these techniques are just a way to do it i like the idea of active reading i think yeah I'm, I'm definitely a slow reader but but i still believe in the inversely proportional curve you know the faster you read the less you understand yes and so i guess the idea is to try and um make a leap in the line like so that you yeah. know you're even if you're reading quickly you're still really focused and really trying to glean understanding the whole way through yeah um which is hard to do, you know, 120 minutes in. Yeah, it is hard and it takes a bit of training. So I, I did do a lot of reading of things that were totally foreign, um, whether they were anthropological or even some stuff that was scientific. We used that stuff to train. And the other thing that in the program that I did, they were very focused on finding what the, the happy speed was for everyone. So I, I actually agree with your sort of inverse uh, um, sort of time to performance based approach and there is a point there where um at least i was told and i believe that your your speed will not affect your accuracy but of course if you go beyond that point well then you're just going fast um, yeah and and other skipping things. stuff and correct yeah. yeah and i think especially for section one probably speed reading is unless you're that you know that you struggle with finishing yep. it probably doesn't add that much i suspect whereas section three definitely like a lot of students find that they struggle to finish correct um and even just drawing the attention their attention to the fact that they should be thinking about how fast they're reading and managing their time is also of benefit um all right and what about so you jump around the exam Mm -hmm. so i don't i'm i just don't do it that's just not me and i think that's that's my take from all of this is that um you kind of have to work out what what's best for you different people will respond 
better or worse are different things. Um, Absolutely. For me, I feel relatively confident for most questions, especially in section three, I can get to a uh, answer that I'm happy with selecting and I've never had issues with time. So for me, it makes sense to just do the exam and not suffer around. Yep. But for other people that are really struggling with time and trying to maximize their marks, I think jumping around will, will maximize their potential. Um, so probably both is fine. Just try whichever one works best for you. Jumping around is probably the best um, baseline approach, I think. I think the important thing there is that you shouldn't have a closed mind to one or the other method. Yeah. A lot of students, when they're preparing, they kind of have their own psychological barriers up against things like, you know, jumping around or vice versa, doing things in order. It's the type of thing where in your preparation for the game set, that's the perfect time to be playing around with those things. And you should be trying to be as objective and mathematical as you can in trying to see, well, which which approach actually just yields me the best result. It should be quite pragmatic. You shouldn't care which way it yeah. is as long as you get the best score. Um, so there have been exams where I've just ended up doing them cover to cover because for me, that was the, the questions were, were still roughly going in the way that I liked them, so I did it. But then there have been others where you, know, you start on the third page, then you jump to the 80th and backwards and forwards and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you should just be malleable and that's one of the things... That, that makes a good GAMSAP candidate because then the exam can't really throw you. Um, you're not you're not stuck in some sort of a box where it must go this way and if it doesn't go this way, you're in trouble. Yeah, I think that's the worst. That's the worst thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting really fixated on it going a certain way and, you know, like as much as we've sat it a million times, it may be different. There might be things that change. And so... Um, you, have to, you just have to be ready for anything as much as a cliche as it is. Correct. Um, all right. So we've obviously seen lots of students, you know, a huge number of students go through our programs, but also people that we know sit the exam. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it gives us maybe a unique insight into a few things. So we'll cover a few, but start. let's start off with what are the things that you think, like if you had to list a few characteristics of people that do well um, without being too cheesy, what are some things about the way they study or um, their personality or the way they approach things that, that have led to success? Yeah, I think it's interesting in the sense that I think all people can identify with different types of what I think is like the archetype. It's kind of like when you're trying to make the dream basketball player and you're Mm. saying, oh, well, I'll give him Jordan's killer instinct, but I'm going to give him LeBron's size. And And you would get there eventually. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's a matter of time. (laughs) Yeah, Um, And, and, you know, maybe Pippin's defense, all that sort of stuff. But uh, we're not building that. But with the, the Gamsat student, particularly you... You want to study kind of like one of those perfectionists that that doesn't leave a stone unturned. If you're uh, doing a GAMSAT course or you've got a GAMSAT resource and you're treating that as the as the maximum, then I think you're going the wrong way about it. Yeah. You, you need to be able to leave nothing to chance. Um, not to the point where you, you actually kind of psych yourself out and stress yourself out, but, but you need to have um, a methodology and you need to be able to be driven through that. And perfectionists and those types, they're really, really good at that. And that almost comes from the rote learner style of, of preparation at uni. So I think a lot of people possess that. Some of the tough part is then you also need to be a good planner. So there's, there's so many different things you need to prepare. That organization of all of those different subtasks can often be an overwhelming thing in and of itself. So having the ability to be able to sort of lay all those cards out and then put them back together in a way that's going to get you through your study in a, in a meaningful fashion, that's, that's the next aspect that you need. So good planning 
you need to be a perfectionist, at least in the study stage. The other thing you need is, is the capacity to be able to reflect. So the really, really good students, the ones that, that drop the 90s and the 100s and all of that, they usually profess, possess the ability of being able to look back at what they were doing and objectively go, irrespective of whether they think they're good at something or not, go, okay, well, that, that's a gap. That's something that can be addressed or, well, that's a weakness I didn't know I had. I better tidy that up. And they're, they're always just looking for those one percenters in there. The final thing you need on the day uh, is just uh, a mindset, which is somewhere between um, completely in the zone, but also a little bit chill as well. You can get too in the zone in the gamset, and you do see it where people are kind of, you know, they're so far in the zone that they're, they're not going to come out. It's a bit and cooked. A bit yeah. cooked, starting to cry, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you need to be able to focus so that, you know, the people around you, the actual event itself doesn't throw you off because it shouldn't be able to. Um, yeah. But equally, you need to have like an element of chill that allows you to pause at certain points. Like the people that have that can take mental breaks during the exam. Uh, it's almost like having a power nap. Yeah. And then just getting back into it. Uh, and there's a lot of advantages to being able to do that. So that's that's the perfect archetype of a student. Most people have a couple of those things. They don't have all four. Try and build the other two, thinking about what two that you have. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think, um, yeah, I think particularly reflection is really important. Um, when I say reflection, and I think you probably mean the same thing, being able to look back at the questions you've done and think insightfully about like your thinking process, how you actually got to your answer. Uh, you know, is it reproducible? It's kind of experimental. It's like a hypothesis. You know, I picked this answer this time. In two weeks time, would I pick the same answer? Yeah. I think if the answer is no, that you wouldn't pick the same answer, then you should be concerned. So even mm. if you got it right, then, um, you know, that's that's good. And your percent, like, you know, it'll contribute to your score. But it's important to actually go back and look through every question that you did and think about which ones you were sure of and which ones you weren't. It's kind of the, um, oh, what's that guy? Felstedian? Is it the guy that said the known unknowns, unknown unknowns, known knowns? It's a Donald Rumsfeld hack. That. R- Rumsfeld. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's something similar. It's sort of like the ones that you got right and you knew the process. It, yeah. They're things that you should reflect on because you should really make sure that if you see a similar question, you do the same thing, whatever that thing is. Um, we try and do that in our question log by breaking up all the questions into different categories so that you can sort of categorize your thinking. Yeah. Um, into different little buckets. But the ones that you thought you were going to get right and got wrong, they're probably the most concerning because they're the ones that you're going to keep getting wrong in the same way repeatedly. So they're the ones that you should probably spend the most time trying to fix. Would you say they're unknown unknowns or they're known unknowns? Yeah, it's sort of like, I guess if you reflect on it, it's a mm. known, known, oh, no, known unknown, I don't know. Mm. It's a maybe because uh, I was. It's funny you brought up the Rumsfeld quote because <laughs> I was talking about it with uh, one of my students that uh, I'm assigned to the other day for mentoring, um, who who kind of seemed a bit too confident, and, and I said, "Well, what about the unknown unknowns?" Because effectively, that's that's what the game said. Did is. you say I don't know? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, um, and you can kind of prepare for your unknown unknowns, and I think that's what people. Yeah don't realize is, is that's what building of soft skills and translatable skills is. Um, the only time the unknown unknown becomes apparent is in the moment. So you need to yeah, put like in place things that are going to allow you to deal with it. That question you've never seen before. Yeah. Never done it in any prep. No, you don't know at all that, that like the, maybe the matrix question or something, you know, the, these questions that are um, become part of 
you know, like the Gantt prophecy, these things are like, you know, really hard. You've never seen it before. You do it for the first time. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think there are some principles that you can always follow. Like, Correct. You know, if uh, categorizing, is this a skip? Is this a, I do it now? Is this um, economical? Seven questions, one graph, few sentences. Sure. Economical. All right. Yeah. I'm going to do this question. Those kind of processes help, re- um, help, yeah, re- relieve some of your anxiety and and even if you don't know, even if it's an unknown, unknown, the question, you still have some procedures and processes that you're going to follow, but yep. you're malleable in, in your approach. I think with the known knowns too, uh, one of the common things that, that really strong science students have is, is really good math skills and they can actually take that too far. Like they'll... They'll solve an answer when you don't need to solve it. The four options are yeah. pretty distinct. So it's like the power of 4.3 and then they'll... Yeah, they'll, yeah. Do, they'll do some sure. simultaneous stuff. I raise you 10. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not that they're doing it wrong, but if you consider at more of a macro level, maybe section three has, let's say, 50 mathematical style questions. And if your average time on one of those questions is a minute, which is sort of under the, the average allowed time. You're probably happy with that. But if you're actually really strong at this, uh, but you're also a bit of perfectionist in the way that you need to solve things, and it could actually be costing you 30 seconds. Over the breadth of that, you're actually costing yourself half an hour. Yeah, exactly. And so your known known is actually part of you know, your worst enemy in the exam. That's why students need to be reflective and not just on the things they're getting wrong, but on the things they're getting right as well, like, Am I following the path of least resistance or am I adding in a few barriers here that need not be there? Am I just like weird flexing on my, with my knowledge, you know? Yeah. Weird flex in my study group. To the power of 1.3. Got this guys. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, I can confirm that uh, most doctors can't really do many mental calculations. So it's probably not tested. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm definitely fit in the group that would just do the maths but yeah but, but it's not, definitely not the most efficient way to do things um all right so so we've thought about the different things so planning um being perfectionist reflecting what was the fourth one i've forgotten the fourth one i'm being a bit chill chill well, yeah in the, in the yeah. zone in the zone but calm, chill. calm confidence you know yeah. clutch mentality yeah um yeah that kind of thing yep. yeah Another basketball reference, if you didn't catch it. Um, sports. Yeah. <laughs> but I was actually thinking then about how different players G themselves up for games yeah. as well um, and, and why that aspect of routine is really important. I think that's one thing in mock exams you should be trying to do as well is, is try to um, yeah, like, Im- implement the zone. Yeah, have your, like, whatever your four things you do in the morning are. Correct. And, yeah. like, your outfit planned and all the things yeah. that you're going to do. And the Ray Allens and the JJ Reddicks of the world have the, you know, yeah. the shooting drills and the way they, the order they put their socks on, all of that stuff's down to a T because they're like artists at a specific thing. Like routine. And then you got Westbrook who's just a battering ram and he's going to listen to hip hop and get so G'd up that he Dancing. just throws himself up and down the court. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's the equivalent of walking against that and just tearing up every sheet of paper in front of you and saying, I crushed that, I crushed that. Yeah, and, yeah. Star- and staring down the other students. Um, <laughs> I actually but- described someone today in the hospital with as intense eye contact. That is intense eye contact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's also like, can you imagine, and, and people that don't follow basketball can't, but JJ Reddick doing what Russell Westbrook does? Like, 
it would be a disaster. Yeah. And likewise for Russell Westbrook doing JJ Reddick's process, it, it just it just wouldn't work. So translation for the masses, you need to work out what your routine is. Um, yeah, have, have a routine yeah. um, that, that, that puts you at ease, makes you feel comfortable yet confident because you can be both of those things at the same time. Yeah. People get confident and they actually create anxiety. That's, that's a problem yeah. too. Because, yeah, you, you're being like a mental athlete in this exam. It's not easy. It's a whole day. Um, yep. Anything you can do to make yourself feel comfortable and get in the right mentality is going to pay off in the end of it all. Indeed. Um, all right. So, I think, I think we've, we've thought about what the best kind of student is. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to think about sort of different backgrounds because I know people listening to this podcast will be coming from different backgrounds. So, some... Uh, maybe Westbrook types, you know, the biomed students <laughs> used to crushing everything, having all the facts, the slides, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then people from completely different backgrounds, um, something like nursing or maybe been out of study for t- 15 years or engineering backgrounds, wanting career change, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so, I guess I want to talk a little bit about my experience. So, I think in my experience, at least the engineering types, maths backgrounds, they tend to do quite well. Um, mm. provided they're committed and will cover the theory they need. So the chemistry they've never done before or the bio they've never done before, they often end up doing quite well. Cause I think they have a lot of those like natural those, problem solving skills. Exactly. Those four yep. things we said, you know, planning, um, planning, reflecting, being perfectionist. Those are critical things in making sure a pipeline runs or building, having some massive construction project. Um, but I think sometimes people from science backgrounds can get caught up a little bit in that kind of rote learning uni mentality. And that's one yep. thing to be careful of um, is that, and I think we used the analogy with Josh in the first podcast episode, if you haven't heard it already about the language, sort of you need to speak the language, you need to understand the biology, the chem, the physics. If yep. there's a question about mitochondria, you know what that is. If there's a question about um, some sort of hydration, organic reaction, you know what that is and you can sort of, at least engage with it on a surface level. But beyond that, you know, theory sort of has diminishing returns. If you do a PhD in chemistry, um, I'm yeah. sure the chemistry will be familiar to you, but but your, unless your topic of study comes up, the PhD itself won't mean that you do well. It's more the soft skills, the reasoning, the having to do projects, the planning, that stuff will pay off. Correct, yeah. Um, are there any other archetypes or bits of advice that you think... Um, I think to the the allied health, non-science uh, students out there, arts, law, com, that type of thing, they, I think when you, you go on the forums or you, you talk to people, there's, it's kind of like the, the bias in the, the cohort makes you think that you're at a, a disadvantage. And I would say that if for anything, you're, you're almost at an advantage to not possess the biases that are possessed by the rest of the cohort. Because the way Acer is going to write the exam is going to go against the biases of the cohort. And if you're not in that, that's great. <laughs> so, you know, you're not hoping that your four years of anatomy and physiology is going to pay off on the exam day because it's not. Um, Acer wouldn't be that stupid to, to put questions there that a biomed from their core subject is just going to go, yeah, well, I just know this. Um, so if anything, those people need to, I would say re-understand the equation that's that's ahead of them um what you said about having a surface level understanding just just aspire to that and then just work on those reasoning skills to be able to contextualize josh is quite right in the sense that you need to be able to speak the jargon and ironically this is the same as what the science kids will do for section one they're going to have their little black book of all the the terminologies they're going to build their vocabulary 
it should just be a logical thing that for section three, if that's not your language, that you would do that. Yeah. I mean, we all did that in like year 10 science when we were learning all these new words for the first time. Start a little black book, jump on Quizlet, build a, a, a little yeah, quiz for a little yourself. flashcard bank yeah, or something. And, and yeah. challenge yourself to use these words in sentences. It's like when you're learning a language, you learn exactly. Spanish. Yeah, like yeah. When I used to learn Arabic, we weren't allowed to speak another language room in the room. Yeah. It's like you, you're just like forced to you use immerse it. yourself. Yeah. 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 And sure, for like a week, I could only say bread and milk. But yeah, you, you should be doing that and attempting to uh, normalize mm. the, the jargon so that it's easier to interpret. Yeah. And I think the um, analogy continued is that if you memorize a dictionary in another language, you don't speak the language. You Correct. just know the words. You just know the words. Um, and I mean, it's a similar thing. So a lot of people memorize the facts of physiology or they'll learn all the different renal. I find the kidney a personal vice. You know, I think it's quite a difficult one to understand how it works. And the people that memorize things that happen in the different tubules and memorize all the channels and all that stuff, they're the ones that get the most confused because it really doesn't make that much sense when you memorize the facts because in different parts of the tubules, different things are happening with the same salts. Sodium goes in, sodium goes out, urea goes in, urea goes out. It's really hard to think mechanically about what's happening. Mm. But if you think more... In trying to speak the language trying to actually understand what is happening it's like fluid going through a pipe getting changed to make urine the body tries to keep the stuff it still needs and and then you think about okay so if the body's low in sodium whatever responses happen should make you retain sodium from the urine you can kind of predict what's going to happen with each of the channels you don't Correct. necessarily need to memorize the directions of everything um, not at all and sometimes you get burnt but most of the time the, the people who think and speak language will win out yeah um, yeah and you'll also appreciate more why there's a descending and ascending limb not yeah remember remembering numbers and ions for each limb exactly for the sake of being able to reproduce it like there's some logic as to why the the tubule goes down deep and then it comes back up uh, yeah so if you understand that you're at a, a i would say less less disadvantage of being confused by those questions as to someone who just possesses the dictionary of the kidney yeah and then is going on the spot i i've never had to contextualize this but i'll try now yeah exactly um and i mean thinking more practically again so for your study what does this mean this year Mm -hmm. um i think like in the way that we obviously build our courses we think about it in a similar way so theory application and then simulation type of thing so it is important early on to sort of start speaking the language and for some students you'll all start at different points in that race you know some people will be really familiar in some things other people won't be um that's where your uni notes uh, might be okay you know just dusting the cobwebs to refresh exactly um or if you're completely coming from no background getting the basic biochem physics under under control is quite good yep. um and then but we try to quickly move into contextual stuff and doing questions and those kind of things and i'm not trying to make you feel like you have to do a thousand questions it's not at all it's about the reflection and and understanding how the theory that you're learning is going to going to be applied on the day and start building those strategies and yeah yeah i think having a phd makes you understand the equation a little bit better in the sense that it's the assumption is that because I have a PhD, all chemistry will be easy, but the PhD is in a very, very narrow branch of chemistry that's highly specific. And yeah, okay. There's like a hundred of us in the world that can do it to that level, but that's, that's going to come up once every 15 years on the GAMSAT. Maybe do I have a general background? Yeah. And, and, but that's the only bit that really translates to the GAMSAT. 
And so when you're, when you're prepping to avoid the, the knowledge trap, as I like to call it, you need to just have a sort of a, a line in the sand where you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to get to this basic point. It could be, it could just be the year 12 level. It could be whatever, but going too deep and thinking, oh, I need to get better and better and better and be an expert and be an expert and expert. What took me 10 years to get to the end of my PhD and that's considered quick. Yeah. So you can't do that in every single area. You, you need to have reasonable yeah, you, know, you, have to, yeah you have to yeah you have to accept that you're not going to get to the that yeah. mastery level across the board yeah correct and and if they wanted that then there'd only be like four people studying med each year exactly yeah, yeah. so so it's it's yeah it's about keeping your expectations real and that hopefully allows you to move from a, a general theoretical level to starting to see how it's translating in the questions because if you leave that too late then you may feel confident about your theory but the questions are really what's going to set the confidence yeah not the not the text or the the questions you're doing in the back of the textbook or the the vce waste hsc um uni level exams they're they're just testing your your basic facts yeah and you start forgetting all the um the you start forgetting like the relevancy of what you're learning i think you start forgetting that mm. this is like i try i usually tell students to try and think of it as a game like you're trying to score the highest score how you do that doesn't matter you know there's many ways to shoot a basketball there's many ways to sit the game set it doesn't really matter there isn't one right way as long as you're getting the highest score who cares um exactly and i think some people who start by studying a lot of theory get caught in that trap of thinking it's another test that they did well in high school in needing to get 90 percent in every question that's definitely not the case Um, the thing that they're getting and i don't think people are willing to admit is that they are getting a degree of sort of dopamine surge associated with the success that they're having yeah being definitely able to continuously repeat that process yeah you, your undergraduate and high school education made you have a sort of a dose response based yeah exactly relationship make you an addict the for the you know glory yeah. of high percentages or yeah <laughs> you're, you're an addict for the facts um yeah and, and you'll continue to be that because you, you're used to getting that response. Three Dickensian fact addicts, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. There's a good meme for that, but I, I know not to act out memes. So. <laughs> um, all right. So, last couple of questions that we ask everyone who comes on to keeping it 100. So, cool. um, what is something that every Gamsat student believes that isn't true? Every Gamsat student believes it isn't true. You need to have a biomed degree to do well in the GAMSA. Mm, yeah. Good. I mean, that's, again, that's just a bias of the cohort. Uh, and, and it's a sad thing that people that are non-science or non-biomed students adopt. Um, and was there anything unusual or different that you think students can do this year to do better? This year I think we've, better. Yeah, we've covered a lot of things, I guess. Yeah, I, I think... The one thing that students should be doing more is looking at past GAMSATs longitudinally as opposed to taking the recency bias of the last two exams. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you want to actually be able to not necessarily predict, but have some degree of inkling as to where the GAMSAT is headed look at how it's changed over the years and then think about as a result what's important yeah because it's not going to drop off a cliff and all of a sudden tomorrow become 
a civil engineering test. It's it's trending with us, the, the cohort. So you need to look at how it has trended and predict how it will trend. Yep, trend. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I think we covered a lot. So to sort of summarize for people that uh, stopped listening. So we spoke about the things that make a perfect GAMSAT student. Um, yep. So those four characteristics and importantly um, that you don't need a biomed degree to do well. There are lots of you different archetypes uh, and that ultimately uh, we think theory is valuable, but not super valuable. Um it's valuable to speak the language, but probably not that much more. It's part of the process, but it's not the process. Yeah. Any other last thoughts or things you want to add before we wrap up? No, I think I think hopefully I've dropped enough uh, OG knowledge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As well, you know, people can always go on and on, but just try and do things in small doses. Um, kind of like planning your study out. Always take away one or two things. Think about those. Don't try and solve the whole puzzle in one hit. Yeah. And I think one last thing, uh, sort of thinking about the new year as well that we're in, um, I think it's important in doing all this process to to sit down and do some GAMSAT questions. No matter what level you're at, you'll get a sense of like, otherwise, because I feel like a lot of people shoot blind early on in their study. They sort of yeah, they have do. this vague concept of what, what it is they're going to have to do. They never sit down and do an ACER paper or another yeah. mock exam. So they never really know what it is. And then they start just randomly studying which yep. never really made sense to me um i was coming from science having done maths the first thing i did was just get a paper and do it and see what happened yeah and even if you don't know any half the stuff that's fine just skip it you don't need to get it all wrong for the point of it but you just know that way it gives you a sense of what roughly it is it'll be less vague i think that's another important thing to take away from today definitely and i'd say in that sitting have the stopwatch on but counting upwards not downwards yeah, see how long it takes you to feel okay about it in its totality. Don't do it question by question every other day. And and that'll also give you an idea of, you know, where you need to get to. Yeah. And include maths in your theory study. So it's biochem, oh, yeah. physics and maths. Or maths, biochem and physics. Yep. Um basics all the things that you know you should know, so logarithms and just triggered Siri in the room. Um <laughs> And logarithms, exponentials, dividing, subtracting, multiplying, thinking about square roots, all those things are really important. So make sure you do that um, as well this year. Something that we endeavor to cover and do throughout the courses. All right. Thank you so much, Scott, for. No, thanks for having me on Keep 100. 100. Um, Yeah, well, there'll be many more episodes to come. (laughs) Might see you again on one of the other pods. Yeah, sounds good. See ya. Bye. Cheers, guys. 